0: two off the record Uh, we're recording a day early this week because uh, we're we're busy humans we had a lot of we had a lot of emo on our weekend so we needed a full day of rest on Monday to get back into the normal week Uh, (laughs) I saw American football this weekend Jesse did not I got enough emo for the both of us Um, I'm feeling a little emo about missing out on them yeah it's just there's so much sadness I saw I saw actually a few people cry last night wow yeah there was a lot of you know i didn't necessarily feel old at the show because there are many 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 people older than me but it was like the first time where there was a noticeably older band crowd where there was just so many high school kids it was kind of interesting or maybe like you know freshmen junior to freshmen wow and it was it was interesting to see all the youngins um see how tumblr see how tumblr works for bands
1: Um, That's interesting.
0: Yeah. But anyway, welcome to Off The Record. You can keep up with us at offtherecord.fm. We have show notes there. You can ask us questions. You can find us on iTunes and subscribe to us however you may like. Um, Jesse, there is one piece of follow-up for you.
1: So uh, I said that the Beeb was discovered by Usher and the I think it's also a funny thing to discuss that when people say discovered, it's like always kind of silly because, you know, you can basically say you discovered somebody until they're a platinum artist. Like, I always thought it was funny that, like, people would say Ross Robinson discovered at the drive in when they were playing multiple nights at sold out clubs before. Did that record with them. The clarification is is for the beep, he was originally discovered by Scooter Braun, his manager, and then signed to Raymond Braun music group, which is, Raymond is Usher's last name, a joint venture between Braun and Usher and Island Records. RBMG is still listed as one of his labels, so Usher is apparently still receiving a percentage. Good on Usher. Uh, dude, dude, I have to tell you, I really like Usher. He's, he's, he's you know... I I met him one time. He was such a nice guy. He seems like a happy guy. He he was a, a sweetheart, and he was uh very, very very politically intelligent.
0: Yeah, he just seems genuinely happy to be really rich off of Justin Bieber.
1: I mean, and you know, making all these ladies happy with those songs, like you know, all that baby making to those jams. Yeah, I do that. Yeah. Were you going to say you do that? You put on (laughs) Usher with your girl? Wow, Zach, I did not see that one coming. I know, right? We're big Usher fans.
0: (laughs) All right. So we have Lister questions. We do. There's one quick question, which is, um, do you think going to college for something such as music industry or music production would take away from the fun and enjoyment of music since it would become your job? (laughs) <laughs> uh, depends if you are miserable with your job. It says nothing. I don't think it has anything to do with. Uh, yeah, I mean, going to college for the music industry is terrible. It's a joke. It's uh, a waste of your money unless you're doing production.
1: I don't, no, I don't agree. I think production it's still a waste of money.
0: I don't know. Well, we, we talked about this one episode long ago that I will remember to put in the show notes. Um, no, if you, you just do music. If, it, if you start interning for a record label and you feel that it's the worst thing in the world and you never want to do it, well, then you probably shouldn't do it. If you would rather just go to shows or play in bands and play house shows, do that. That's okay. There, there's a fine line in any career where having a job makes that career terrible or it doesn't. I
1: don't think it actually has anything to do with the music industry. It's just... Here's, a, here's an interesting aside to that. So, when I started working for Alan Douchess, which was 15 years ago, Alan Douchess is the guy who's mastered probably most of your record collection if you listen to this podcast. He really didn't listen to a lot of music at all because he was just burnt out. Because all day, you know, 15 hours a day, he's listening to someone else's music. I said, man, I'm never going to be like that. And I listen to very little music, and I'm very burnt out on it. So I would say this. If you're worried about your love of music diminishing, you might not want to take a job where you have to listen to other people's music and not the music you want to listen to all day. There's nothing sadder in my life than when I really want to be listening to a song I really want to hear. Um, And instead, I'm listening to some horrible out-of-tune emo song that I'm mastering.
0: That's a fair side. I listened to Today in 2014... Actually, it's funny. I was having this conversation with a different Jesse that uh, works for Properties Act last night after the American Football Show that, like, we were comparing the length of our podcast subscriber list, and we were both like, we probably listen to one-third the amount of music that we do to podcasts currently.
1: Uh, I would say one-third, maybe even down to an eighth for me. Which is...
0: Definitely strange. Um, and like I, I don't love music any less. I find though like I find incredible fascination though out of out of listening to podcasts. And you can only do one at a time, really. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that I think that's 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 where it's become different for me in that sense. I'd, like i like I have gotten burned out by my work and um Properties Act has burned me out considerably. Uh, and we will talk about that more in a month from today. But Uh, and that's burned me out and there are things in management or record label world that drives me crazy and i want to just say you to a random band like you are terrible you need to like stop acting like an idiot like that there are there are issues where it's like where you can't where sometimes it's hard to separate like church and state and it's just like why is this band doing this this is insane and that can frustrate you to the point of not wanting to listen to that music anymore um, yes, and that 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 part sucks because that's just that's like meeting anyone meeting like your favorite baseball player and realizing meeting Usher and realizing that he's not a great guy but he's an asshole, and then you're not wanting to listen to usher anymore, even though that's not true
1: I've had that happen
0: yeah i've had that happen too it's a it's a real bummer um so I, I think in that sense like you can totally you can totally be dissuaded by the music you love and it and it sucks to not want to listen to music that you grew up on that you haven't necessarily grown out of. You've just, you've just seen the the broader picture around that music and those people and that, and that's a bummer. Um, Agreed. Yeah, Burn it, burnout is. It seems like burnout's more of a producer thing than other areas of the industry, though, wouldn't you say? It just seems like.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, it, it's. It's. You know, to get to a decade as a producer and not quit is a real, real achievement. The amount of people I've seen come and go in the the scene, quit has been it's really funny some people have really successful records for a short run and they they just go running so fast because i mean the, the other thing too is is like you know until my last two relationships that my last two failed relationships let's say every relationship i had that failed was because of my job yeah i could count probably six breakups that were all caused by how in demand my job was i mean you know bands living in the house with you you know having to do insane hours never being able to commit to Being there for certain things, not being able to like, even there's even really simple things in my life that I've never been able to do. Like, let's say I wanted to take a piano lesson at a set time every week, Um, I'd never be able to do that. My week changes every week so drastically, and there's nothing I can do about it.
0: Yeah, my my first significant relationship was fully ruined because of my website and so is that and like, so is my health for a long time too like just like, like mental sanity <laughs> yeah all and that's true. That and there's no there's no real place in the music industry unless you're like a financial person or a business manager to an extent where you can be more on a regulated schedule um, like even, even I was just on an email thread where there are some bands coming through Philly uh, next week and, and Grace will be visiting me for it's her birthday and it's like I'm, I'm going to like skip some work stuff. And that's incredibly stressful too. like even if you decide to do something for the personal life, it's still then incredibly stressful to like move forward with that. And then when you're doing whatever you're doing in your personal life instead of work stuff to be immersed in it without feeling stressed or like guilty or checking your phone every minute. And that's also a bummer.
1: Yeah, it's because it's very hard to choose between that stuff. I mean, I think it's gotten easier for me to choose my personal life because it's you learn over the years that it's, the world's not going to end if you miss that show and you miss meeting up with that band. Right. The other thing I've learned is to date people who are just as busy as you, so they uh, either one understand or two don't care when you're absent,
0: which is a shitty thing in a lot of ways.
1: <laughs> I don't think that's shitty. Like I, well, it
0: would, it would just it's a it's a well, it's a situation that I think most people don't have to.
1: Uh, like grasp or work through. You know, what's really funny. A lot of the musicians I work with have the same thing. Is that like if you're dating somebody who's going to be annoyed that you're on tour all the time, you're going to have a miserable existence. Absolutely. And you have to. Ha- they have to have something else going for themselves that keeps them happy that's not you cuz if their happiness is dependent on you being around that's a direct conflict with your touring life or your work life or whatever and so when i go into dating somebody i make sure that they have a passion that they're happy to explore when i'm not around
0: yeah and yeah and that's that also couples nicely with uh not wanting to be burned out by music because that is your passion <laughs> yes <laughs> there you go there we go I could, you know, after something like that, I,
1: I just want to use drugs, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings us to our next topic. So a listener wrote in, we lost the question, but the gist of it was, so what do you think about musicians doing drugs? So we got this question months ago, and you and I kind of joked about how we avoided this one. I put a lot of thought into this because it's been something that's really been on my mind. Um, I've changed my mind a lot about drugs in recent years. Months. Since I was 18, I've never not had a friend die in 365 days from a drug overdose until this year. So that was 18 years in a row. I lost a friend every single year to drugs. So I had a lot of animosity and a continually opened wound. Um, towards what drugs do to people. On the flip side, Bill Maher has this great joke I so, cite often, and I may have even cited it on this podcast. That he says, "Ban drugs." My record collection is a strong argument against that. There is no denying, and I don't care who you are, that especially as somebody who's watched what it's like when people stay sober in the studio. I used to force bands to be sober in the studio seeing the difference it sometimes makes with certain people to get that block down with some drugs that they just have learned to not be able to function any other way. Drugs really can help creativity. And, um, so what do I think about musicians doing drugs in an ideal world? It's not what I would like to see. And I wish everybody could come through their mental health things and learn how to be creativity without them, creative without them. But, uh, that's not the case, and uh, sometimes drugs are really necessary to just get people to do the thing they do, and w- what we often see, too, is that the particular cocktail that somebody's doing, whether they're an alcoholic or they're just smoking tons of weed, that's when they write their best stuff, and once they stop, they start writing really terrible stuff. In fact, you can often see in someone's career that when they change their cocktail, as I like to call it, that that's when uh, the music starts to suck, or that's when the music finally gets good. I've seen it go both ways.
0: I'm also, like... Um of the, I don't know, this is a tricky su- subject because in a lot of ways it's like, I don't care. Like, you do what you want. I I personally don't, like, do drugs. But I drink, whatever. At the same time, though, you know, we've seen, I've seen a few musicians this year be removed from their band setting because of drugs or things related to drugs or things that drugs have then spiraled into. And that's a really tough situation because that, that not only... Forever <clears throat> potentially fucks up that band members' lives, but then that can also fuck up the band and then the perspective of the band from fan like it's a very quick spiral that can that can just mess everything up. And then that also affects on the back end, that affects the manager, the label, the the recoup cost, the the, the
1: people who uh bought laptops that don't exist off of you on the internet. Exactly. So
0: yeah, like I want my I want my uh my My poly MacBook air, my poly MacBook (laughs) from Johnny Craig. And to me, to me, like I am fine with it, but also I think it sucks. And that's not like a really fair line to be on. Right. Cause that's just totally like wishy washy. And in reality, it should be like kind of yes or no, but it's never going to be a yes or no. And it's, it's hard to say like, yeah, I don't care if you smoke pot. And then, but then on the flip side, be really bummed when, um, you know, pot turns into something else and then that member's out of the band and then the band I'm managing breaks up and suddenly, like, I'm not making money anymore or the booking agent, like, just lost a big band or a fan doesn't like that band anymore because that fan has had someone in his life die every year because of drugs and then they see that with their favorite band and they don't feel like they can listen to him anymore. So I, I feel like it should be a black and white thing, but it's so clearly not.
1: Yes. And so then the other thing is, so I should also state, since you stated, stated, um, I have been mostly drug-free since I was 19. So that's 17 years. Um, I, once every three months, do a little bit of marijuana. But I primarily, and there's been a couple of years of my life, uh, in my mid-20s, where I was fully, I don't want to say strange, but I was sober. And I didn't do anything for about two to three years. But one of the things I did evolve on is my thoughts on what's called a mind expansion drugs, the psilocybin, the LSD. I am still very weary of recommending anybody ever do that. Um, full disclosure, I've done acid or mushrooms about 70 to 80 times. I've never done them since after I was 18 years old. I do feel like they formidably opened my mind and got my brain to where I am today. Which I'm very happy with. I'm very happy with the way my brain performs and thinks and what it sees and how it handles information. And I've seen a lot of people get that from it. Did and we I've talk seen, about
0: the Gabe Supporter thing on here?
1: We didn't. Let's, let's go down that road. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I was
0: listening to an episode of um, the Pat Cast, which is Pat, God, what's his last name? Mahanahan of uh, Train, the singer of Train has a podcast uh train is managed by a company called crush that i think we probably discuss here every once in a while and crush also manages artists like cobra starship so gabe uh was a guest on the pack which i'll put in the show notes and um a lot of their discussion was sort of about uh just gabe's upbringing in south america and, and new jersey and his literal humble beginnings, uh, <laughs> and um, then uh, then a, kind of like a, a a good chunk of the podcast was about um, drugs uh, and or rather mental. I don't know what you'd want to call it. What would you call it? mental like experimentation
1: or like mind, mind expanding?
0: Mind drugs. expanding. And so Gabe does, and I'm not going to remember the exact kind of phrasing, but but Gabe does. Uh, he goes on like what I will just let's say call a spirit journey every a few times a year I think and that keeps his mind fresh and he he talked about it completely openly and like like it was essential for his life because that's how he stays what he deems very sharp and astute and able to be a better musician and also you know Gabe's a very good businessman as well.
1: Yeah, Gabe and I grew up together where Gabe was my first punk friend from another town. I met him I think when I was 16 and he was by far the best band band businessman I've ever seen probably until I was about 22 years old, so like 6 7 years I saw no one else be better at him than him.
0: And that, that really surprised me that conversation. I was like, "One, he was what was so interesting to me about it was that he was so there was no like joking about it or there was no like, you know, I know you think you're. I'm going to be crazy for saying this about it. He was very much he was strictly like it was just a normal part of his conversation as much as me talking about going to school would be normal for me. Like that is just a routine in his life. That's that's not like a necessarily like a fun getaway vacation. I'm going to get high for a weekend thing. It's like something that he does in his life like he like someone would work out or do yoga or spin whatever that's like a mental that is his mental exercise several times a year
1: and i had never oh, really, really so anything the, like what that. what made me change my mind on this and want to talk about this is i've seen a lot of the minds i respect the most to get gushy my girlfriend is the most intelligent person i've ever met in my life and uh, she does the same thing she regularly indulges in it and So, But the caveat I wanted to say was I can't say that's for everybody. And some people are too neurotic and too shaky on the mental end for it. So I don't say everybody should go drop acid like Joe Rogan, say, does. I think for a lot of people, like, there's no denying that psilocybin made Steve Jobs the great thinker he was. And there's countless other great thinkers whose minds have been up. Oh, totally. Yeah.
0: Steve Jobs is a really good point. I I forgot about that. There's a whole section in his in the biography of him where it's just like he went, he did LSD a lot.
1: (laughs) Unquestionable. Mushrooms are psilocybin and the people who do these journeys uh, regularly have their brains vacuumed out and are able to have epiphanies that help them function better on a regular basis. And while I can't condone that everybody should do this, just as I don't think you should do heroin because Kurt Cobain did it, um everybody is different in what drugs they can take and what they can and can't handle so you shouldn't just do it cuz your favorite rock star did it it
0: it seems like an it seems like an internal you need to know it inter- internally which is which is much different than yeah. thinking which is much different than assuming because Your favorite, someone doesn't, because Gabe Supporter doesn't, that you should.
1: Yeah, but I think the other thing that we have to remember is that there's been a lot of hyperbole about what drug side effects are. Like, I don't want to condone heroin use, but you're often told in high school that if you do heroin, you're going to get addicted and die. I've had some friends who've been regular addicts of heroin for 20 some odd years. Not that I'm going to say it's not very addicting. That would be very irresponsible. And everybody I know who does it craves it for the rest of their lives. You don't also just die the second you do it. And I think that there's just so much bad information about drugs and about that. You know, you do acid, you go crazy, you do acid, your children are deformed. Steve Jobs' children are very intelligent, well-mannered people. And there's plenty of other people whose parents have done tons of acid. And uh, they turned out just fine
0: So um, Future Crooks uh, Bad Timings for signing uh, our The band's album came out On um, October 7th If you have checked it out, thank you We started sending orders out last week Or within the last 10 days As soon as we uh, streamed the album online And our friend, friend of the show Nick Mango, who runs uh, Limited Run and Card Included And soon to be some other cool services Um he, he bought the record and he opened it up this weekend and he played it yesterday. And he texted me a little confused and said, did you mean to press this at 45 RPM? And I was like, yeah, we did. <laughs> uh, and and his, his essentially his response was, it's probably been 10 years since I've had a 12-inch a record at 45 RPMs instead of 33 it's interesting that you guys did this at purpose because on purpose, because most labels would consider this a mistake. And that threw me back, uh, because we, it was absolutely on purpose. The record just for context is only 26 minutes long. Um, and that, so that's around 13 minutes per side, which is very short enough to, to play to have the speed set at 45 instead of 33. Um, I don't want to get in myself in trouble by saying we did this solely because it would sound much better. Just in case Jesse tells me that's a lie, so I will. I will have you cut in now.
1: Uh, yeah, forty-five makes a difference. Uh, yeah, I mean it's small, and then so I think like the more. It, so let me also say this: I thought this was funny because Nick tweeted this at us today. So I went and poured through my record collection at what I have of uh, songs that are both on forty-five and LP. And I found two today, and um, you know I couldn't blind test myself because I didn't have another nerd around to help me. I listened back to the two of them, and I, sure enough, I mean, they were both very old punk songs, one from the 90s, one from the 70s that I was able to do this with. And yeah, it's cleaner. It's the transient sound, or transients uh, to the layman. Uh, who doesn't know this nerd speak is like the initial sound of like, let's say a drum hit is a transient um, or the pluck of a guitar. Yeah, they're clearer. It sounded better. Uh, it was sharper, crisper. It sounds better. But let me also say this. If you're listening on your Crossley record player, that thing's such a piece of shit that you're never going to know anyway. If you're not sitting in an equilateral triangle to your speakers, you're never going to know. If you're listening through a USB port. Oh, talk,
0: say more about that.
1: So so, if the cheapest way, if you're like, hey, I want to enjoy my music more, instead of getting becoming a vinyl addict and forgetting your girlfriend's birthday and spending all your money on vinyl, <laughs> that's a great... Oops, oh. that's my girlfriend's, it's my girlfriend's <laughs> birthday on Thursday. It's <laughs> my, 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 mine tomorrow, and I did not do that. I've been being a good boyfriend. Um, the easiest thing you can do to enjoy music more is get two speakers point them in an equal lateral triangle to your face in the place where you listen to music most, probably at your desk. If you sit there, you will hear more things. There's a reason when you see you know, a record producer or a person working that the speakers are always orientated like that in the studio, it's because that's the way you hear the most and you get the best image of sound. That difference alone will up your musical enjoyment immensely, is just spread the speakers far enough out that you're in an equilateral triangle. Even if you have just shitty $200 speakers, $100 speakers, that will make the biggest difference of anything you do for your musical enjoyment and it's free.
0: However, with 45, you brought up that they can be frustrating.
1: I have a really fancy record player that you have to take the platter off and move a rubber band in order to change the speed. That's infuriating. I mean, you know, it's a whole step more than flipping the side of a record. and (laughs) There's just something about it that makes me hate doing it so much. (laughs) And uh, I just did it four times today (laughs) when I was doing this test and it it made me infuriated, to be honest.
0: Well, there's a thing where it's like, if you... You have the the Crosley. It doesn't matter. Yes. Uh, But I feel like most of my label's customer basis is either a Has a Crosley and will soon switch off of it, or has a like an audio technico player, like I do, where you can just hit a button.
1: Yes, that's what most people have who haven't like gone down the road, or you know, like what's even crazier is like, uh, you know, Alan Douchess, who we mentioned before from West West Side Music, he has a $20,000 record player that floats on air.
0: Oh
1: man, I remember the first time you ever told me about that. Yeah, it's insane, it's and it's the greatest music listening thing I've ever seen. And like, you think it's a joke when you say it floats on. The air, it literally every part of the record needle is never touches anything, it is floating on air. It's so cool, <laughs> I don't even understand. It's it, 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 sometime we're gonna have to take a field trip up there, and uh, we'll have to do a YouTube episode um <laughs> for the podcast because it's really uh, it's special. But um, I wanted to get a little controversial here. Uh, and maybe talk about some other things that don't matter in sound since we're going down this uh, road and talk about what's snake oil and what's not.
0: Well, this is great because I learned all of this in college uh, to revert back to our first question. So please, let me have an educated conversation with you about sound.
1: Gold connectors are snake oil. Unless the entire chain is gold-plated, you're getting nothing out of that. So when the dork at Best Buy tries to sell you gold connectors... Just say no and go buy a monoprice cable from Amazon or monoprice.com and you'll be in just fine shape. And you'll pay one-tenth of the money and all will be fine. Um, also, never buy anything at Radio Shack. They are four times the price of anything that's on the internet. Two, and I'm going to I'm gonna get a little controversial here. I feel like Will Yip kind of sold a bad goods to the public. Talking about the magic of the Neve board. Is about to get real. Yeah, it's well, scary. I don't think it's Will's fault. I think it's where other people took it. And I'm not trying to be like, start a fight with Will. Because um, he's right. I've worked on Neve boards a million times. There's a certain magic to them. But I think it's become very exaggerated. And that people think that... And, you know, the first thing that ever had this was tape. Is that people think this mystical vibe of tape is going to... Uh, What do you call it? Like, make their record amazing and have this cool vibe. And there is no truth to that whatsoever. And I would put my $100 against anybody else's $100 that if I got to choose 10 records that I know whether they're digital or tape or not and play them for the person, that if they could guess them all perfectly, you could have my $100. I think you're actually starting a fight with uh, Dave Grohl, not Will Ye. Yeah, well, you know what's funny, guys? I, the, the, those two things kind of happened at the same time: is the documentary on the, that console and that. And listen, there's something magical about a Neve board. But we're talking about a subtlety here that you accumulate. And what's actually the magic is performances and songs. Now, what's nice is most of the bands who get the money to record on a Neve board usually have some good magic and some good stuff going. And when they don't, no one hears the record because no one talks about the record. So there's this you know, circle of life going on here. But I kind of want to say the Neve board and tape are not snake oil, There is real things that happen with them that are a little magical, but they're a small subtlety. The other thing about it is, is um, most of the records you've been hearing for years have, in fact, been recorded on neve boards. Or you know, there's tons of records that have been having this happen over the years, and there's tons that also sound fucking terrible that are made through them and it's the engineer and the producer who get a magical performance from great songs that matter so much more like i i will always argue as somebody who likes will's recordings would actually is more of the thing is that will's a great producer not that he has this magical unicorn of a mixing board
0: right and it's not like at the end of the day like the 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 tools can only do so much without the operator
1: right? yeah and what may, really makes great records is it's so much is the operator. Um, one of the things Finn from Creative Live have uh, talked about doing, and um, I wish he would do, is just show, do a class on Creative Live where you use uh, a great engineer producer can do a make a great sounding record on a hundred dollar gear, like uh, just absolute crap. It's not going to sound as good as the other records they do on great gear, but it will still totally work because it's the person and their techniques.
0: Yeah, sound setups or sound setups in general, whether it's like whether it's a court, like uh, you know, like a knee, a board or whatever. Versus, and then you know, uh, two record setups are becoming more interesting to me as I'm continually slowly trying to avoid buying a new record player and sound stuff uh, instead of buying my girlfriend a birthday present. <laughs> <laughs> Expensive, and it's like at some point, like I, I get well. Obviously, I think it would be safe to say, and I imagine you would agree with me that when you were producing a record, a record, or your band recording a record, you want to. It, you would still rather record with that great producer on something more than a hundred dollar system. Yes, um, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying for, the, for sure, right? But for the list, for me, for the listener, right, like. I'm sorry, everyone, you're about to really think poorly of me forever. Let's
1: impeach Cirello in advance, everybody.
0: Yeah, impeach me in advance here when I say, unless I'm flying on an airplane or going some very long distance. I just use my
1: Apple headphones. So you want to know the funny thing is, I mostly use my Apple headphones too. I used to be famous for always wearing big head, expensive $250 headphones around my head. Right. But I bike ride in the city and I need to leave one ear off on uh, the earbuds and the Apple earbuds right to me compared to a lot of the other expensive ones.
0: And to be fair, they sound
1: a lot better than they did a few years ago,
0: in my opinion. Um, Undoubtedly. They, did, they get better with, all the time. Right. Yeah, like you can hear
1: some bass in your Apple headphones now. Um, which is a surprise what I often judge and to get really specific about that too since we're going down nerd alley of sound stuff is a lot of headphones don't even reproduce the bottom octaves so there's notes that the musicians are hitting on the records you listen to that you're not even hearing on some headphones like what are those skull candy ones my ex was buying one and it was buy buy two get one free and I just handed her the money and I took one of them to be nice to her because I'm that good a boyfriend man I had to stop listening to them after one day because you literally the E string or the guitar didn't even reproduce on those headphones. As we know, any music these days is pretty much built off the e. Yeah.
0: I uh I don't know. I have like a nice pair of Sony studio headphones that I'm sure a lot of people have that I just take on like when I fly across the country or something. Um, but otherwise it's just like I am not, I don't know, like God bless you if you're a person that can wear like big over the head you know, headphones every day when you're walking around, whether it's a hundred degrees outside or like 20 degrees outside. You know, I just don't like, it's too much for me. It's not easy to, it's not easy to listen to music or a podcast with that, you know? Uh, it's like, I, this is, this, this sounds like a first world problem, but I just recently got sunglasses for the first time in my life um, because I refused to wear sunglasses for until
1: now. Well, well um, I'm, I'm on 36 years and counting, so.
0: So I, res- I respect you greater than me. I gave in. My doctor scared me. Um, <laughs> well, speaking got, of steak oil, I got a very cool pair of sunglasses. Actually, that are actually made out of vinyl. Um, <laughs> you nerd! You know you want to know how punk I am? How punk are you? They made of a Dead Kennedy record. No way! That's pretty funny. Yeah. You got to link that. Yeah. You got to
1: link that to show. It. I will. I
0: will. I will. I will get a. I will get a little cut of that if you buy it. So I will link wow. it, and you can buy very expensive sunglasses, and
1: then you can judge me. Um, wow, um, you're, you're, you're giving me competition for my claim earlier that I'm the punkest person alive. Yeah, man.
0: I, I am wearing Dead Kennedy's music on my face, and people think I'm not punk. <laughs> I'll show. I'll show them. <laughs> But anyway, with these sunglasses, right? Like, I've never worn sunglasses before. I'm not – I have a. I'm. I have prescription glasses, so I, I need to be wearing glasses. Or I can't – it's not – or I can't see anything. And I'm not a girl, so I don't have a purse or, like, a handbag where it's just convenient. Are you trying my-
1: to make fun of my man tote bag?
0: Oh, you're ridiculous. <laughs> Look, I wish I could pull off the tote
1: bag. I can't pull off the tote bag. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm king hipster. I can do what I want.
0: You are. I can't do that.
1: Um <laughs> but, so, you know,
0: I, I've been finding it difficult, like, okay, when should I put my sunglasses on? Because I have to reach into my backpack and do a whole change, right? And to me, that's the same thing with, like, over-the-head phones. Because I would just rather stick my Apple earbuds in my pocket and forget about them or and then pull them out very easily. Um, but so wh- what I meant to say 25 minutes ago was that, Uh, At some point, like to the consumer, to the music fan or to me, like, I don't know when, when I should be spending money on, on audio stuff and when I should not, you know, because I have interest in buying nicer earphones, but at the same time, like, why, why would I do that? I I don't, I don't know if I'm going to, if it's going to make a difference to me. And then when it comes to. Within the next six or so months, when I buy another record player and a, like a new system, it's like, well, you know, I will probably just end up ha- giving having you give me three options and me picking from them. But at the same time, like, how much money do I want to spend? Isn't sensible for me to spend that much money when I'm not going to notice? Like, and then how do I know if I'm going to notice or not? It's 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 not stressful. It's just like
1: I have a little bit know. of an answer for that though. Um, how will you know if you're going to notice? If you do what I said before, you sit in that equilateral triangle. And you have good equipment. I'm saying even just good, like you put $1,000 into your whole system. Let's say you have $250 headphones or you bought some $400 Yamaha HSM or HM8s or something – for monitors, um, and you got a nice record player, your ears are going to learn, and they're going to get better at listening. Um, One of the other things we could talk about in this is that producer legend Steve Evitz had a great saying, you know, he talked about, so Andy Wallace was this guy, he's mixed, there was one point that Andy Wallace had mixed all the top 10 records sold, uh, on the Billboard Rock charts at one point. He's done everything from like the Beastie Boys on to like that at the drive in record that we were talking about before that Ross Robinson did. Like he's done everything. Um when he was doing when he was at the peak of his career, he was 70 years old. So no 70 year old has good hearing. I don't care if you're superhuman or not, your hearing has died a little bit. What here, what listening is actually about Uh, it's, I should say, it's actually about listening. It's how you've trained your ears to hear things and how you've trained them to listen. And you get better when you listen on good things and you hear more and you understand more. Like, you know, it was a great example is um, this week, a lot of people were talking about the way the Newfound Glory record sounds. And a lot of people are not happy about it. And I had some friends say, ask me, what is actually wrong with how this record sounds? And wrong is a weird word. And I don't want to Say it sounds wrong, but I'm like, what you probably don't like is, yes, the cymbals are buried, the guitars are shaped and EQ'd in a very not conventional way. That's not on their their other records, and
0: I don't like it because I
1: can't hear the drums. Yeah, that's just me. Yeah, no, 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 I mean, I, it's my my problem with the mix as well, and I there's a lot of things that are just very wispy. The toms boom too much. Um, but, you know, there's that's just taste. And to be honest with you, you know what I found very funny is I can't list that record on my studio monitors, but if I put them on my uh, Apple earbuds, the mix barely bothers me. The point I wanted to make is you're training your ears to know what's wrong, what's right, and get more enjoyment out of your music, is hearing those details. Like All of a sudden, hearing that piano overdub that you never heard on Bleed American, let's say, and it's a record you've heard a thousand times, that's what happens when you listen in the equilateral triangle on a good system, is you just hear things you wouldn't do, and you start to understand music in a way you didn't. And if you take... Your music listing, seriously, as I know anybody who could sit and listen to us bloviate uh, about this stuff obviously does. It's a fancy word. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, anybody who will take the time to do this probably loves music enough that they want to invest in learning more and enjoying it more. And trust me when I say, it's like, will you be able to hear it? Yes, because your ears are going to learn to hear it more by being on a good system. But if you're just listening on Skull Candy all day or through the speaker on your iPhone, you're never going to hear any details.
0: Hmm. That's a good. That's an interesting point. Like, yeah, I guess I would rather spend, I don't know, how much extra, right? If I if that could be a possible side effect.
1: Yeah, it's not possible. It's. I I would actually say it's definite because I've never seen it not happen when people do it. Like I've been watching people have this epiphany for fifteen years as I've set them up with good systems.
0: Yeah, I like that. That's good to know. Oh God, I'm now I'm now nervous for when I have to buy that. <laughs> yeah, kiss that thousand
1: or so goodbye.
0: Mm, okay.
1: <laughs> you'll, you'll thank me in in a few years. Yeah, well, I don't know.
0: My hearing is damaged. Uh, I I, re- I recently lost my pair of in ears, and I need to get a new one. And I'm paranoid. Mm. Um, my it was it was a very interesting. I don't know if we've ever talked about this on this, but. A few years ago when I went to the doctor and she was like, do you listen to music a lot? Cause you have permanent hearing loss. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, I go to some music every once in a while. <laughs> I don't know. Have we ever talked about no, that? No, we I haven't. Miss- I, uh, I went, I, my freshman year of right before I went to college, basically, um, I had a, I had an ear infection for the first time in my life, which is kind of insane. um, And I had no idea what it was either because I had never had an ear infection and it was this horrible, horrible thing. And I left my internship at Crush early and I went to the doctor and he was like, you have an ear infection. Here you go. Here's some medicine. It was terrible. And I woke up in the middle of the night um, and like, so this is gross. My like eardrum popped which I guess is something that can happen when you have an incredibly infected infection, whatever. Um, And it was very gross and gory. uh, And it was, I did not know that was a thing that was possible. Mm -hmm. It was very shocking to me. Um, And so after that got cleared up, I went to like an ear specialist just to see that I was okay. And she was a musician herself and we, we talked about that and, she she put me, she put me through like an ear test and she was like yeah you have considerable for someone your age hearing loss in your left ear do you play music a lot or do you go to like a few shows a year and I was I looked at her and I was like I go to about eighty shows sixty to eighty shows a year punk shows a year um, and they're all probably about three to four hours long and like her eyes just like uh, she did not make a happy. Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, okay, you need in-ears and you need to wear these every time. And what she said to me that was shocking was she showed me like a decibel chart, mm-hmm. um, And she was like, this is what, a typical, what the typical amount of decibels at a rock show are. And this was the shocking part. She said, your ears should only be um, privy, to, privy to this amount of decibels for 15 minutes without, poss- without being um, open to hearing loss. Um, that doesn't mean you're going to get hearing loss, but that at that point, like yeah, you're 15 risking minutes it. In, you're risking hearing loss, and I was like, very quickly, I tried to do a very bad job at math to think about how many 15 minute intervals I have spent listening to music that loud at shows, um, which at that point was let's just say 200 shows, which is I don't know, probably eight you know 600 hours of music yeah. like that and i was like wow yeah i'll take the in-ears yeah um and that was so terrifying you know like how like the majority of musicians i see do not wear earplugs on stage or have in-ears and that like ever since and now anytime i see that it always that that conversation just always pops in my my mind and is terrifying
1: so, the I'll, I'll piggyback on two things of that, and then we can uh, go on, which is one, which is there's a little bit of hyperbole to those facts about shows and sound. A lot of doctors that will tell you the truth, say that that those statistics are a little over-exaggerated. Um, I actually have very little hearing loss, but I knew I was going to be an audio engineer since I was 15 years old, so I protected my hearing most of my life. Second interesting thing is New York State in particular has way less loud concerts than most other cities because the insurance companies don't want to deal with the lawsuits Uh, about hearing loss from clubs so they make the clubs not have the sound as loud so a lot of the more professional clubs so if you're going to like a live nation venue or like any big venue in new york if you stand pretty far back you're not really risking much hearing loss
0: yeah i think though in general you it's probably fair to say that like that while maybe a little over exaggerated or misunderstood like ballpark is probably
1: the uh like legitimate right Yes. No, no, no. I, it's, it's legitimate, and you are going to experience bad hearing loss if you don't wear earplugs, and especially if you're close to the front of stage or you're a musician on stage, you need to wear earplugs. I shouldn't be not condoning that. But there is also a little bit of hyperbole, just like anything in the medical field. The last point I want to make is, and this we'll discuss this in a future show, is if your ears are hurting... Your ear is clogged, and you think something is wrong. Run, don't walk. It is very, very cheap. Even if you don't have medical insurance, it's usually about a hundred dollars if you don't have medical insurance. And um, what we'll get into in a future episode is me getting my ear checked out, saved my life.
0: Yep. Yep. Totally. Um, yeah, I need to get. Yeah, I need to get
1: a new pair of in ears. <laughs> yes. So. Music curation. Have you heard of Spotify? I've never heard of this thing. What are you talking Uh, about? Should
0: I say Beats, rather, I guess? Yeah. (laughs) So,
1: um, music curation
0: is an uh, elusive term where you download a um, music streaming service and you want to listen to playlists. However, that's not necessarily what
1: we want to talk about in full. What is Skrillex doing? So, one of the things I talk about in my book that I don't see enough musicians do that. I think it's one of the best things. And Musicians are always asking me, what could I be doing that everybody's missing out on? This is one of those. This and making sure you concentrate on your email list are like my two things. Fans, and us included, want to see what you're listening to and what you're into. So Skrillex has this cool thing called X Selects where he makes playlists on SoundCloud of all the cool songs he sees and that he's liking. And he keeps a regularly updated list. Trent Reznor was doing this for a little while on Spotify. You were one of the first blogs I ever saw do it where you would get all the bands on a tour to make a playlist of what they're listening to on that tour. I find this so enjoyable because I find most of my favorite songs from people I respect so I mean, even this Skrillex playlist. I love the Dylan Francis song you put up. I think this is the number one thing, and you can that you can be doing to help fans bond with you and piggyback off of growing. You know, so there's a great statistic that fans buy music from since they don't have to buy it. They support the musicians that they feel the closest with because they're actually choosing to support you, and they're. So, I'm not going to remember the right percentage, but it's an astounding percentage more likely to support you if they feel a bond with you. This is the way you bond. So what you can be doing is, let's say, your favorite thing in the world is cute cat videos. Make playlists on YouTube of your favorite cute cat videos and tweet and Facebook them out to your fans. All the ones who love cute cat videos, who are probably most of your fans anyway, are going to love that you do this, and they're going to love you for it, and they're going to want to support you more, and they're going to talk about you, and they're going to say to their friend, Oh, my God. Da 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 da, just posted this cute cat video thing. They go, really? I haven't ever heard of them. And then it turns out you're their new favorite band, and that's how your music spreads. So do this.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I, I fully agree. Um, yet it's funny because I'm not in that target audience. Oh, really? Um, like we, we, We've talked about this before. Like I don't listen to playlists, uh, I listen to albums all the way through. Um, but, and
1: we'll be asked though. So you see, you love Mansions or Manchester Orchestra, and yeah. they talk about. They say this is my new favorite record. Do you check that record out?
0: Yes, and which I think is a little different than if uh, Manchester Orchestra made a playlist of their favorite songs. Let's say Andy Hall made a playlist of his favorite songs. I would not be into like listening to them. <clears> um, I would like because to me, and I'm I'm now making a fake playlist by Andy Hall of songs I already like. So. You know, let's say it's a mansion song and that leads into like a, I don't know, that wouldn't work. I don't know. Let's, you know, let's just say they're all artists I haven't heard of. I would not be able to really, I may say like, oh, this is a cool song. Maybe I'll check this out. But I wouldn't, I just wouldn't want to listen to that whole thing because to me it would be jarring and I wouldn't like know, oh, I'm going to check this whole album out. I really like this artist. To me, what, what might get me to check out something more is if there were 15 people on my timeline screaming about checking out the Hotel Year album. I'm going to go check that out probably, um, which might be something similar to if I was an avid audio user and I saw that everyone in my sidebar was listening to a Hotel Your Album, you know, or that like that's what comes up. But and so I, I, however, completely agree with you that I think this is a great thing. I think way more bands should be doing this. Why do you think we did we do the Properties exact feature? Because people love seeing that shit. So those are posts
1: <laughs> are successful for you.
0: Yes, we are, however, killing them off soon. Hmm. Um, but we, this is a thing, like, if we want to get a little meta on the site. Really quickly, like, Totes. You know, features have a, a lifespan um, in general. Like, unless it's a review or an interview, which is a very always-changing thing, features in general have a lifespan. Um, the playlist feature is just at the end of its lifespan. Like, when we started it, I. this is a thing, like, when we started doing that in 2011, yeah, eleven or twelve, right? Yeah, um, we—I was 2011. We were really we, as far as I know, and I'm not saying that we were the first ones or anything because I'm sure there's like a, you know, like a hip hop website, right? But like, I was the first. It was you were the I, first I
1: saw it. I read a lot yeah, of different styles blogs.
0: I thought it was a fantastic idea, and I was like, you know, and to be fair. Uh, every other website in our genre started doing it after us. And that's not like a credit yeah. thing or whatever. That's just, I just never saw it
1: beforehand. Well, I remember I even emailed you and I said, you should do this. And you're like, yep, already on it.
0: <laughs> yeah. It was just, I just thought about it. And what's funny is I'm not, again, even back then I was not in the target audience. Um, maybe this is like a bad thing to me to say. I've never listened to an artist playlist on Properties Zach hmm. um, because I just don't, that's just not how I consume music. But I, I recognized, I guess, at a decently young age, before, or even before these streaming services were in America, that like this was a thing. Um, and now at this point, like we we've done it so much, and it's just kind of stale on mm. our website. But if I'm a if I am manager of a band, and I know that. Joe from Knucklepuck really likes making playlists for himself, I'll say, hey man, why don't you publish this and tweet it from the band account? Yes. Um, Because one, you're probably going to be listening to some of your friends' music that are in small bands and why not make them bigger hopefully, but also, it's like Jesse was saying, it's going to be a good way for people to bond with you. Um, I like bonding with artists I like too. You know, like, if I have, if uh, an artist I like tweets about the Brooklyn Nets. I may be like, that's awesome. You know that that does like that's just one form of bonding. It could be about tech. It could be about music. It could be about movies. You know, like oddly enough, um, I am a I am what I would consider myself to be a My Chemical Romance fan, but not you Ooh. know as I am any other band where I'm not like I'm not a super fan of My Chemical Romance. I like their music, but I've always I never felt connected to My Chemical Romance as a I remember very vividly, like 10 years ago, watching music videos for Helena and uh, I'm Not Okay on MTV. Mm-hmm. And I really liked those songs, but I was never like the person that didn't exist next to me because I went to school in New York. That was like, that, that band changed their life, you know? And I, cause I couldn't, I wasn't into all the over t- the topness, you know, all the costume stuff, which I think is very cool. It just wasn't, that's not what connected me to it. However, since Gerard Way has sort of joined Twitter and is now tweeting about it's funny. There's a there's a podcast that I'll also put on the show notes. He was uh, on this Grantland podcast and um, this guy, Andy Greenwald, who uh, wrote uh, a lot of popular emo stuff once upon a time, made a comment like most fans only knew you behind a mask and like makeup. Uh, And now you tweet about your pancakes uh, every Saturday. Uh, like the pancakes you make for your daughter every Saturday and you tweet about comics and music that you like and stuff like that. And uh, that's, for me, as someone who's just a casual fan of my comical romance, that's made me much more interested or feel connected to, like, Gerard Way's life. And I really enjoy reading his tweets because uh, he doesn't seem like a really rich musician. That's an asshole. You know, he seems like a grounded person that has genuine interests in the world and they might not be my interest. Like, I don't care about comic books, but I, I, I don't know. I have found that I, I am now closer to my, uh, to Gerard Way as a musician because of natural thing that he tweets, because he decided to make his life more about how he presents himself rather than like a black
1: I think a theme of this episode is that if you're personable, open, and nice to the world around you, then we're going to like you more. No one likes me. (laughs) Just that kid on the Absolute Pug Podcast comments the other day. He really likes you. Yeah, Yeah. he really likes you. (laughs) Yeah. So, what do you have to recommend? Oh, you go first. You're letting me go first because I'm recommending a product of yours. Thank you. (laughs) Cash money, please. Somos and Sorardi Noise have a split coming out on Bad Timing Records, and I produce the Somos side of it, and it's some of my favorite songs I've ever produced. So I'm recommending that because I love those songs, and that band needs to get bigger and bigger and bigger because they're an amazing band.
0: What did I do this week, man? I don't even... What do I recommend? I don't. I don't know. I'm scrolling through my podcast list since I don't listen to music anymore. Um, man, I got nothing. You know what? Listen to the Grantland Pop Culture Podcast because, like I was just saying, there's a really great interview with Gerard Way and another really good one with um, uh, Jack Antonoff from from Fun and Steel Train and uh, Bleachers. And uh, it's nice to listen to a podcast where you can learn a lot more and, and get uh, just learn insight about like an artist that you really love. To me, most of the podcasts I listen to are tech podcasts, but it's nice when I can listen to a podcast with a musician that I don't really know anything about um, besides the music and then see like, oh, this makes a lot more sense now. Uh, So I would say the Grantland Pop Culture Podcast, maybe in the future I'll recommend music, maybe.
1: I'll also recommend an episode. uh, WTF had Rivers Cuomo on
0: oh god that was weird in a good way
1: yeah and i you know i am one of those people i only like the first two weezer records i wish they dropped off the planet but what a good conversation and really interesting and when you know when when Marin hits somebody who's open about stuff at times or really uncomfortable and he keeps jabbing them it really could be one of the best interviews there is
0: I got off of a plane at LAX and I took a shuttle from there to to Grace uh, two weeks ago now, and that's what I listened to. And I was very very tired. It was like midnight her time, so it was like three a.m. here. Oh, that's was, way past Grandma's uh, hours over here. Well, yeah, and I was like, I was, it was so uncomfortable, but in a good way, I guess. Like you should listen to the podcast. I'm like, I don't like Weezer at all. I'm all not right. a fan of Weezer even at all. I wish I could. Like Weezer's one of those bands. Where I wish I loved them, and I I mostly d- strongly dislike Weezer, um, but still like they're an interesting band to me. Um, that was a, that, a good one. I'm, I really only listen to Marin every once in a while if there's a guest of interest. I've probably I have I've really listened to essentially none of his episodes, um, but that one was pretty good. I also I because I assume you've listened to this. I really like the Lena. Um,
1: Dunham, 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 Dunham. Oh yeah, Dunham, uh, the WTF episode. I thought that yeah. was one of the best uh, podcast episodes ever. I'm actually reading her book right now, mm-hmm. and um, I'm gonna. Re- you haven't finished yet. I assume that would be a one night thing for you. Well, I'm listening to it, um, and I'm listening to it when I run out of podcasts. So, but I'm like halfway through it. Um there's a really good leftover Crack reference in it that I really liked. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's re- I, I I spit out my drink on the sidewalk of Williamsburg. It was really 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 funny. That's funny. On
0: the uh, on the Grantland podcast with
1: Jack, he mentioned, um,
0: or maybe it was with Mark. He mentioned, he mentioned Lifetime, mentioned, and, and yeah. yeah, he mentioned this band, the first band he was ever in, I think called Outline. Yeah, Outline. yeah I, mastered the, and, I mastered their I mastered the record. Oh no shit! Sure, because I was with Fred Feldman from Triple Crown on um, on. Friday, and I was also with Joe Mara from the early November. There are some name drops, I'm sorry. And, um, yeah. we, and we were talking about just Bleachers and Jack Antonoff, and a conversation came up about that podcast episode with Outline, and I, I don't, I know nothing about this band, except that they were talking about it on the podcast, and I had no idea that came out on Triple Crown, I guess. I didn't
1: know that either.
0: Yeah, Fred I think what I like, bastard
1: didn't, but...
0: Uh, Fred was like, yeah, I should probably repress that on vinyl man."
1: Yeah, really. I mean, you know what's really funny is there's a lot of kids who come to my studio who really love that record. Um, it was cool. It was like, you know, cool.
0: Thank you to everyone for listening to Off the Record this week. That's FM. To check out show notes to leave us any feedback. Jesse can be found at Twitter at Jesse Cannon. I'm at ZZarillo and our podcast is at Off the Record FM. We'll be back next week.